Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Earlier this week, a grand jury decided not to indict any of the three Louisville police officers for murder after they killed Breonna Taylor in her apartment. Advocates for Justice for Taylor are calling on Louisville companies to divest funding from the Louisville Metro Police Department and its supporters in response. Louisville's largest employers, UPS, Humana, and Ford, have all supported the Louisville Police Department in some manner. Employees of UPS and Humana are on the board of the Louisville Metro Police Foundation, which funnels dark money to the department. Ford faced protests from its own employees for providing police cars to the police department since Taylor's death. Some 40,000 people signed a petition demanding that the three companies join the call for justice for Taylor. All three firms responded with the claim that they were, quote, champions of justice and equality, end quote, while refusing to do anything for Taylor's case. Together, the three companies employ over 50,000 people, since Taylor's murder, the company's executives have been eager to demonstrate that they're anti-racist and have pledged funds to racial justice organizations and the Louisville community. Taylor's supporters say that those actions are easy things to do for a multi-billion dollar corporation. The supporters also say that if the companies are serious, they will divest completely from the police department, Louisville Metro Police Foundation, and the Fraternal Order of Police. Otherwise, they are complicit in denying justice for Brianna Taylor. Two hundred prisoners in Oregon staged a protest on September 13th in response to deteriorating conditions amid wildfires. At the Deer Ridge Minimum Security Prison, administrators added a large number of evacuated prisoners to the existing population. The existing population was moved to a vacant building to make room, but immediately suffered from mold exposure and vermin. There were no beds in the building, and worsening wildfire smokes exacerbated the other problems. Due to breathing problems and lack of ventilation to address the smoke and mold, prisoners forced their way out of the building and into the yard, where they remained for hours while negotiating for better conditions. Twelve prisoners refused to return inside at all and were taken to a different facility. People across the Oregon prison system have suffered from brutal conditions and chaotic transfers throughout the wildfire crisis. Multiple populations were crowded together at Oregon State Penitentiary with inadequate provisions resulting in many fights and attacks by guards. Updates can be found on Twitter via the Lane County Hunger Strike page at EUG Hunger Strike. Memphis police unveiled new taser shields during protests this week, following the acquittal of two of the three police officers involved with the Louisville shooting of Breonna Taylor. Taser shields, also called stun or electroshock shields, while originally marketed for animal control, have a decades-long use in corrections facilities. 
Their migration to crowd control is a recent development. These shields have been primarily used by prison guards to inflict pain and pin inmates while forcibly removing them from their cells. For decades, taser shields and other electroshock weapons have been criticized by human rights organizations both for their use as torture devices and because of the record of death following use. More than a thousand people have died after police use of electroshock weapons since the early 2000s, and the United Nations Committee Against Torture has long categorized the taser as a form of torture. A 2012 study published in the American Heart Association's journal Circulation found that tasers can cause, quote, ventricular arrhythmias, sudden cardiac arrest, and death, unquote. Some taser training materials have advised police to avoid aiming electroshock weapons at a person's chest, which increases the risk of inducing cardiac arrhythmia. The recent appearance of electroshock shields as a crowd control measure has raised concerns for this reason. The Memphis Police Department electroshock shields were purchased with funds from Operation Legend, a June 2020 Trump initiative, which sent federal law enforcement agents into eight American cities to, quote, fight violent crime, unquote, following mass protests of the police murder of George Floyd in May. Josh Spickler, director of Memphis nonprofit Just City, calls Operation Legend a, quote, fear-based campaign stunt, unquote. Spickler suggests that, quote, if the federal government were serious about helping Memphis with some of its societal problems, then they would further invest in housing, further invest in mental health care in our community, and further invest in our kids' education, unquote. Last week, we mentioned that prisoners revolted at Chippewa Correctional Facility, or URF, in Michigan. Up next, we have a short statement from Abdus Salam Muhammad, who served 28 years in prison and was released from Chippewa URF seven months ago. He played this statement at a recent noise demonstration at URF in solidarity with the prisoners there. To the prisoners at URF and across the state of Michigan, we proclaim our solidarity with your struggle against abuse, against racism, and against the nepotistic good old boys club called prison. You are not alone. This is truly a time of crisis, and the cracks in the wall are growing. Prisoner lives matter. Around the state, we see your struggle and we see your courage. Others are struggling with you. They try to censor and isolate our hunger for freedom, but they cannot hold us off forever. Abolish prisons, down with oppression, inmate lives matter. Know that while y'all asleep, or while you on lockdown, while you in your cell in segregation, it's a bunch of us out here fighting for your liberation and your freedom. And we're gonna continue to fight and protest. We stand with URF, we stand with Muskegon Correctional Facility, we stand with Macomb, we stand with Lakeland, we stand with all the facilities in which prisons are suffering and dying from the coronavirus. Prisoners that are dying from long-term sentences, that were incarcerated as juveniles. For those who have been falsely accused, we are protesting against a mandatory minimums, and we stand with y'all in one voice.
And now we share a few selections from an important new report from Oakland Abolition and Solidarity on COVID vulnerability at a California facility. They say, a long pattern of institutional abuse and neglect is now putting thousands at risk of another COVID-19 outbreak. A culture of carelessness, abuse, and neglect is now putting people in the state's largest prison at risk of COVID-19. On September 3rd, an entire housing unit section in the California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility in Corcoran, California, or SATF, F-Yard Section 1, was cleared to make COVID-19 quarantine housing. Eyewitness testimonies from incarcerated people detail several ways in which this move was conducted with total disregard for health and safety practices. This is business as usual for SATF, which during this pandemic will likely result in widespread illness, injury, and death. SATF stands out in California's prison system as a site of chronic neglect. Over the course of years, there have been multiple documented complaints, reports, lawsuits, and corresponding inadequate state responses to toxic conditions and total disrepair. Reports include that the SATF roof is leaking in at least two housing units. When one leak source, a cooling unit, was removed, it left incarcerated people to swelter in the summer heat and left the roof further vulnerable to inclement weather and elements. In past months, water has pooled in people's cells and has created toxic black mold in at least two housing units. All of these structural problems occurred well before the onset of a global pandemic. On September 7, 2020, there are 141 active cases of COVID-19, 139 were from the previous 14 days, and then on September 15, 2020, there were 182 active cases, 95 were from the previous 14 days. Currently, cases of COVID-19 are growing rapidly, and prisoners' risk factors are drastically increased by the following conditions that have been confirmed by several people inside, such as transfers of people with positive COVID cases to housing units that have no positive cases. This has also created further crowding and minimizes people's ability to socially distance. Prisoners are given masks very infrequently, and they are often made out of unbreathable material. Mask policies for staff are not being enforced. Kitchen workers are being housed with people who have positive cases, putting the whole facility at risk. There is little or no access to hand sanitizer or disinfectant for phones and other common surfaces. Social distancing guidelines are not being used by staff or prisoners. Information is not given to other inmates about positive cases in their housing unit. They are not even provided with CDCR memos related to COVID-19 that the public has access to. This week, we're talking about Vernell Freeman. He's currently incarcerated in Miami Correctional here in Indiana. His wife, Michelle, recorded these statements about the ongoing abuse Vernell has been suffering in the institution. We'll let Michelle tell you more about what her husband is going through. Here she is. Question. When standing up for others makes you a target of retaliation and ridicule, is it still worth it? For Vernell Freeman, it is worth it. Vernell is the type of person that will give you his last. He would literally give you the shirt off his back if you were in need. Those who have ever asked him for anything or needed anything can attest to that. The question is, why is he the target of so much negativity and abuse at the Miami Correctional Facility? This all began back in December of 2017. Burnell was admitted to the infirmary where he saw people being neglected, dying, near death, in despair, and in need while no one was helping them. 
Some were not getting meds at all, and some were missing their scheduled doses. Their health was declining with every passing second. Although he had been admitted to the infirmary as an urgent status, he went for four days and still had not seen a doctor. Why was it so urgent that Vernell be admitted to the infirmary if it would take so long to be seen by a doctor? When he noticed there was a problem, he began to watch the staff, not only for his own safety, but also for the safety of everyone else. He asked the name of a specific nurse, and she told him her name was Alice, and when he asked for her last name, she replied, In Wonderland. Another inmate then shouted out her real name, at which point she yelled at that inmate and told him that he would need her, and then told my husband the same thing. She was not licensed to deliver medicine, however she was doing so. She was also helping a correctional officer pass out food. Many of the inmates were in fear for their lives. My husband was also told that he needed heating pads and cooling pads. When Vernell asked the nurse about them, her reply was, why didn't you ask? Which would indicate that at the Miami Correctional Facility, you need to know how to diagnose yourself and what you need in order to get help. My husband attempted to put in a grievance and he was told someone would pick it up for him. Instead, the CO who he had the complaint against tried to pick it up from him. Vernell refused to give it to him and told him that it was against him, so why would he give it to him? Vernell later asked for his prayer rug and his religious items, and the CO told him to pray on the floor in the infirmary. Had someone checked the tapes, this would have been confirmed, and maybe that CO would be more respectful to the religious wishes of those in the infirmary where religion, in some cases, is all that they have left to hold on to. From there, life in prison, if not bad enough already, went downhill fast for Vernell. There would be retaliation to pay for Vernell. By March of 2018, Vernell was the honors dorm rep. He was harassed by a sergeant and two correctional officers and was written up for smoking and refusing to come out of the cell, when in fact, if the tapes had been checked, Vernell was over by the microwaves at the time of this write-up. These same officers took chemicals that Vernell was allowed to have in the cell, seeing as though he was the dorm rep, and they poured him out on camera so it could look like he had something in the cell, and then they could write him up. A CO made racial slurs toward Vernell, and there were witnesses that heard him. Vernell asked for an order of protection against these officers and did not get one. Later that month, Vernell was locked in the cell. Mind you, honors dorms doors are open for most of the day, and the water and power were turned off on him. When Vernell got his protective custody paperwork completed, the sergeant tried to take it from him. Vernell told him they were against him, so he was not going to give them to him. He then replied, you think I'm scared of you? I'm not scared of you. Also, an event that was caught on camera. We were in fear and asked for a move from the facility or protective custody. However, the prison staff did not respond to his plea. Vernell, shortly after his stay in the infirmary, attended a dorm rep meeting, which was with the administrative staff of the prison. In this meeting, he was advocating for everyone in the prison by asking to get contact visitation reinstated in the prison. He was seen on video around the prison and was given a pat on the back any time that there were people who watched it because they were grateful for what Vernell was trying to get accomplished for them. As dorm rep, he helped many people out and helped keep the dorms running smoothly. 
Shortly after this meeting, Rennell was placed in a different housing unit on a top range, top bunk, ignoring his bottom range, bottom bunk pass. He fell from the top bunk and suffered a major injury that resulted in the need to have brain surgery. After his brain surgery, while attempting to recuperate in the infirmary, he was attacked by another inmate who had a knife while the staff stood and watched. The staff threatened to write Vernell up and take him to restrictive housing unit. Yet another event caught on camera that no one checked. There were HIPAA laws broken, medicines were withheld, medicines were given without his knowledge, and he was constantly denied a move from this facility, even though he was a target and being retaliated against. In October of 2018, Rennell was asking for results from tests, at which point an LPN told him that he couldn't ask for that information during rec and to stop talking to him. So Rennell stopped talking to him, and then at that point, the LPN asked him, was he refusing care? He asked the same LPN on a different day if he had the results, and the LPN told him yes, and Rennell asked for them, and the LPN replied, how should I know? This happened at another time with a different nurse. She asked Vernell right after he had a seizure, was he going to take his meds? And then she reported that he refused care. In March of 2019, Vernell had another health scare, at which time a nurse took his vitals while he lay shaking on a mat. While he lay there, the nurse asked Vernell, what do you want us to do? She then proceeded to tell him that everything he think he saw or knew or heard was all lies and that he is imagining everything. While she was seeing him in the infirmary at that time, at that exact same time, officers were shaking down his cell. As the nurse continued to refuse to give her name, another nurse came around the corner and asked, what is he doing in the infirmary? At which point the other nurse replied, told him it's all in his head. This is pathological gaslighting. He had not received his seizure medicines for a week. In July of 2019, Vernell was attacked in his cell. There was an officer outside of the cell while this was happening. While Vernell was unconscious, the attacker was throwing everything in the cell around. Cups, bowls, books, clothes, everything he could get his hands on. And when Vernell came to, he would stomp him in his head more and then continue to throw things around. I was on the tablet at the time, and I clicked over to call the lieutenant on the range. Even though he witnessed everything I did on that phone, he still wrote Vernell up and took him out of the honors dorm. They took him to a different housing unit until the swelling and everything went down so that they didn't have to have any picture form of proof. Then they took him into the infirmary, finally. He asked for a move, and he did not receive one at this time either. Conveniently, even though the cell was a mess and everything was everywhere, which can be seen on the logs where staff attempted to document Vernell's property, there was drugs in a SIM card under Vernell's mattress. I told the warden secretary that all of Vernell's property was left all over the cell and no one was packing it up correctly. And I told her that I was in fear of the criminal informant having all my personal information, which was in letters and pictures in the cell. And she told me that his belongings were not in the cell. If Vernell's property was not in the cell at that time and he never got his property, then where did it go? Vernell going through his box on August 11th can be seen on the camera in the infirmary. Vernell's property was not stored or moved anywhere. It was all mixed up in the cell, and the criminal informant and any other person who wanted to walk in that cell and take things or plant things 
were able to. Burnell reached out to several housing unit counselors and to classification, asking to please be placed back in the honors dorm so that he could heal and still have his dorm rep job. This request went unanswered. Burnell was taken to C House, where officers were telling other inmates that he was on a check-in and that he was a snitch. His TV went missing for about a month. He had no doctor follow-up after being attacked and stomped in his head, which caused him to be unconscious several times. He asked for clothes since all his were taken and he didn't get any help. When he was finally given a replacement TV, it was falling apart and he was told he'd be charged for it because it was broken. But it was already broken. Burnell was forcibly taken from his cell to the restrictive housing unit again in January. His property again went missing. While in the restrictive housing unit, officers were giving out extra trays of food to inmates if they smoked Vernell's room out. His sanity and his well-being were being tested daily, and he has been in fear of his life since December of 2017. Even with everything that is and was going on, he still found time to help others. He gave away whatever food he could to anybody who asked him. He sold books to them, and he tried to be who he was prior to this retaliation from the staff at this prison. He was given his food all mixed up with his tray. For example, eggs was mixed with oatmeal and that was mixed with applesauce. He was told, have at it, Freeman. Use your hands. Use his hands because the staff also took his eating utensils from the cell. He was in feces water for a week because the cell he was in was located directly above the wastewaters of the facility. There was bacteria in his cell. He didn't have his religious items and he didn't have a blanket, toothpaste or a toothbrush to use. He's complaining of pain and he's not being given a proper diet. They're tampering with his food and he is not being given the proper medical care that he needs. He will die if he does not get the help that he needs. Please call and email IDOC headquarters to demand that they stop the retaliation against the Burnell Freeman at Miami Correctional Facility. Burnell has been incarcerated over 20 years. He has been targeted for horrible abuse and retaliation for the last few years, ever since he spoke up about the need to end the ban on contact visitation at MCF in his position as a dorm representative. Please call and email IDOC Chief Counsel Robert Boer at r-b-u-g-h-e-r at i-d-o-c dot i-n dot g-o-v. Again, please call and email IDOC Chief Counsel Robert Boer at r-b-u-g-h-e-r at i-d-o-c dot i-n dot g-o-v. IDOC Central Office, the phone number is 317-232- 5711, then choose extension 2, then extension 3, and finally extension 1. The following is the script. 
Hello, I am calling or emailing to request that disciplinary and conduct reports that are dated on or after 8-1-2018 against Vernell Freeman, number 106305 at the Miami Correctional Facility be dropped immediately. He is a victim of retaliation from the staff at MCF. He did not get the help he needed after asking numerous times and it resulted in him fighting for his life. He has been bullied for two years straight after a major brain surgery and numerous setups by facility staff. They are trying to kill him with gaslighting techniques to make him go crazy, paying other inmates off in food and privileges by not transferring him out and by not giving him proper medical tests and care. Because of the severe lack of concern with Vernell's health and the overwhelming amount of retaliation at this prison, he also needs an immediate transfer to a different facility. Testing for hepatitis B because of the sewer water he lived in for over a week. His visits and phone privileges restored since his write-ups were falsified by staff. He needs food that has not been contaminated or worse has bodily waste in it and to be seen by a medical doctor that is outside of the facility so that there won't be forged documents and falsified blood tests on him and he can learn his true medical status. Finally, we are asking that all of the good time that has been taken from Mr. Freeman due to retaliatory falsified conduct reports be restored to him. We spoke to Michelle the other day who shared this recent update. Quote, as of right now, I've not heard any news from the call-in. I've been in contact with medical staff downstate for the facility and they've told me that they do not see anything visually wrong with him. They told me what medicines he is taking and told me that they do not see a need for a CT at this time. Even though he has trauma to his head, not only from being jumped on and kicked, but from hitting his head during seizures. They said they do not see a need for a hepatitis B test at this time, even though he was in feces water for a week and that he has no behavioral health diagnosis, even though they at one point had him on antidepressants. He called me yesterday, Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, and told me that he is not feeling well at all. I also spoke to Tony Ferrero, the regional director for Senator Mike Braun, and he suggested I try to get a compassionate release because of his traumatic brain injury. His petition is at 712 signatures to date." Unquote. We'll have more information on the call-in on our website, wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. You can call in on behalf of a loved one or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org.
If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at kiteline at wfhb.org. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash kiteline radio show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.